business and bourbon. It's like a Greek tragedy over here. In fact, I'm surprised he's got a Nigerian name, but should be Greek. <laughs> you have practiced that. It's called an elevator speech. That is an elevator that. speech if I ever heard one. You like what? I like passport. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily filing, but all the stuff you do to make sure when you do file, you pay as little as possible. They want to know what you overcame. They want to know how you overcame it. They want to learn something. Not only will we know, but I couldn't afford to actually pay an attorney to actually file a bankruptcy report. So you stared the business lion in its mouth. You said, I got it, right? So what are you afraid of? In that one year, I suffered two devastating business betrayals. Cost me and my family seven figures plus. I realized you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. It was an incredible perspective. Yeah, that's nice. You've got all your life to live that dream. Doesn't have to happen all in one day. Welcome back to Business and Bourbon, where we have real talk with real people. My name is Ronnell Richards. I am the creator of Business and Bourbon and your host. You know, when most of us start businesses or dream about starting businesses, we think about the good life, right? We fantasize about the, the big cars, the fancy houses, that financial freedom that entrepreneurship gives us. Well, when you sign up for entrepreneurship, you're also signing up for the possibility of failure and failure in spectacular fashion. You see, when we sign up for entrepreneurship, we're pushing all of our chips to the middle and willing to risk it all. See, when you're willing to risk it all, well, there's a good chance you're gonna lose it all as well. What happens when you lose it all? See, that fear is what keeps so many of us away from entrepreneurship, because let's be real, your chances of failing are much higher than your chances of success. So what happens when you fail? Is that something you can come back from? Is that something you can recover from? Well, you know, that's why I invited Ike Ikoku onto the platform. God, his story is an amazing story of success, tremendous success, and some pretty spectacular failures. Well, what did those failures do to him? Well, I think you guys will be very surprised to hear his story and to hear what failure in business has done to him and made him an ultimate success in life. It's a great story. I'm super excited to bring it to you. So with that said, guys, it's time. Grab your glass, grab your cup, grab your mug, grab whatever it is that you like to drink. Pour it in there, okay? Whatever it is, big glass of water, nice glass of bourbon, whatever it is, make sure and uh, sit down next to Ike and I here at the bar. And let's enjoy a little bit of business and bourbon. Welcome back to Business and Bourbon, where we have real talk with real people. It is 2020, people. It's 2020, and my vision is, that's what everyone's doing right now. Everyone's talking about 2020. 2020, 2020 vision. Focused. Well, you know, in light of that, I wanted to, to bring someone on who I felt had some tremendous experience and success and loss. Because I think a lot of times as we start the new year, we get 
our vision so far down into the future. We're thinking about all this great stuff. And, and so we tend to forget some of the other things and some of the other lessons that we've learned along the way. So I wanted to bring someone that I, I was just super impressed by and thought had a tremendous story that not only inspired me, but I know can inspire you guys out there. A, a, a story of success, a story of overcoming trauma and tragedy and it's like a greek tragedy over here in fact i'm surprised he's got a nigerian name but um should be greek <laughs> hey guys i want to introduce mr ike Ikoku. what's up ike going on right now pleasure to be here man i'm very glad to have you on the show man so hey as we get started i always like to do a couple little fun questions just so people can get acquainted with you and who you are and and, you know, I'm a hip-hop kid. Everyone knows I'm a hip-hop kid. So I, one of the questions I asked you was your favorite hip-hop artist. And you said, LL is hard as hell. <laughs> Battled all, anybody else. All about that girl from around the way. Um, LL Cool J. I thought only the ladies love Cool James. <laughs> when you don't have Ron like he does, you, you got to have a picture of something that you could aspire to. So, so not only the ladies big cool james but so does ike Ikoku. that's right i am, so, I am comfortable in my masculinity <laughs> that's what's up that's what's up i'm glad to have you here so let's go ahead and tell the audience a little bit who who are you bro i know who you are and a lot of people that are really active on linkedin know who you are but um not everyone who listens to the show because we're worldwide i don't know if you knew this I we're, we're worldwide i got i pulled the stats we got listeners all over so tell the listeners across the globe a little bit about you, man. What do you do? What's your business? Awesome. So I am a success mindset and business coach who helps coaches, consultants, CPA, professional practice owners, and what I call other purpose-driven entrepreneurs who've got relevant skill, knowledge, and expertise. I help them monetize their purpose by focusing on Really, what I call the one-two punch that every entrepreneur needs in order to be able to build a business that they love. One that creates the level of financial time and location freedom that they desire without the fear of being salesy in the way in which they run their business, without the fear of competition, and really without the fear of feeling like they have to become an online marketing expert and focus in on a lot of the commonly promoted marketing strategies. That's what I do. You have practiced that. <laughs> it's called an elevator speed. That is an elevator speed if I ever heard one. However, typical elevators, that'd be 30 seconds or less, man. That was, that was, what was that? That was about a minute, but it was pretty dope. <laughs> so, hey, it's business and bourbon, so we always got to share what it is that, that we're drinking. What are we enjoying? What are you enjoying over there, Ike? I have a hot apple cider, and I got to say, this is like a bomb. I need like two or three more of these. <laughs> <laughs> It's not too sweet for you? No, I love it. It's hot. It's sweet. I love apples. I, I used to eat apple pie like every meal to uh -huh. the point where I realized, okay, I got to cut this down. Otherwise, it's going to blow up like a little tree. <laughs> Once again, um, like you said earlier in this, very comfortable in your masculinity because you have uh, apple cider with a little cinnamon stick in there. Or... Loving it. Loving it, it's really, it's a really sweet drink. It's but like halfway gone, I'm like, I need a refill. <laughs> All right, so I am drinking. What did she say this was? I didn't. It's got some ginger beer in it, and it's 
when you guys check us out on video, you'll see. Here we go. I'm showing it on video. You guys didn't know we create video content of all the podcasts as well. And if you want to see all the video of all of uh, the podcasts, you need to go to businessandbourbon.net. Do it. Do it now. Sign up for a free membership. You'll get access to all the videos, so you can see this beautiful mug here and this. Uh, these, I was talking about. I'm talking about Ike, not me. The, the Ike's beautiful mug, and and see my my ugly mug here with uh, this beautiful drink. So whatever it is, I don't know, but it looks pretty and it tastes pretty good. All right, let me take a sip. Oh, we gotta clink it up, bro. Clink it up. 2020, man. There is the clink. Those never come to through that great on, on audio. I don't know, guys. That's why you gotta watch it on video. Because audio just doesn't. We don't get a good clink. I gotta go click and try it again. One more time. The one. There. Let's add a sound effect. Here we go. Clink. Wow, much better. <laughs> so, I I was really enthralled by your story, man. And people listen to business and bourbon because they want to know your story. They want to know what you overcame they want to know how you overcame it they want to learn something they want to learn from your experience and your wisdom so that you know they don't have to make some of those mistakes and then those of us that have made those same mistakes can commiserate with you a little bit right so hey we were talking about your your story pre-show and you're kind of talking about your first round of big success yeah why don't you share that Sure. So um, I went to school and graduated with accounting. So typical for most accounting graduates is you know, find a find a job at a local accounting firm. I was lucky enough to work for two of what used to be the big six accounting firms, like the big four now. And um, so typical, you know, early in the career, they start you off doing both audit and tax work. I did that. Quickly realized that I liked tax work. And as I got into doing the tax work, you I like quit. what? I like tax. <laughs> Not necessarily filing, but all the stuff you do to make sure when you do file, you pay as little as possible. Uh, well, I like that yeah, work yeah. that you do, yes, sir. but yes, sir. <laughs> actually doing it. Ugh. So uh, as I got into tax, I really figured out that I liked the personal financial planning aspects of what we did. So I was fortunate enough to work for the high net worth planning division of both Ernst & Young and KPMG. And was just fascinated with the work that we did. I mean, we, just, we would put together some pretty advanced tax and financial planning strategies for our clients. And as I would work on those engagements and see some of the benefits and the value of what was being created within the family, you know, I've always been a student of money. Since a young age, I've always loved making money, saving money. Out I've been an admirer of money You've been an admirer for a of long time. She's beautiful. <laughs> she looks gorgeous. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm a big believer in implementing knowledge. You know, a lot of people do knowledge is power, but I go apply the knowledge to grow the power. Mm -hmm. And so at an early age, in my 20s, I really started applying a lot of the techniques and the principles that I learned. And so I, I have to be careful about what I share on her, but let's, let's just put it this way. Uh, in my early 20s, I had control of international business corporations that were based out of Panama. Uh, I had control of uh, an offshore trust based out of Greece. And I had control of some banking accounts that were based out of Latin. And that level of access opened up a window to international opportunities that 
let's just say did a did a nice job in growing wealth for me as a young kid. So in my twenties, I did really well. Okay, so you made shit a little money in your twenties. Yeah. Okay, cool. Love it. <laughs> now, what I want to talk about is what what happened next, and what, what they want to hear is what happened next. Absolutely. So we've established that guy made shit a little money in twenty. Did pretty well. Then what? Made a little change. Then I hit my first brush of adversity, and that shows up right around 9-11. Obviously, you know, as a nation, we know how terrible that, uh, that time was. But financially, a lot of people lost a lot of money. I, my family, uh, we didn't skirt that in any way, shape, or form. We lost a lot of money with tech bubble cracks. Um, but it was the first time I also experienced being unemployed. And when I was unemployed, it wasn't unemployed for a month or two or three. It was 18 months of employment. And so that took a toll. And, um, you know, reflecting back now, I, I kind of know why it took as long as it did. Because if you looked at my resume at the time right now, I mean, magna cum laude, graduating the top of my class, CPA license, CFP license. I mean, if anybody could get a job after losing one, I'd be the guy. So why didn't you? Well, the reason I didn't, because now, you know, everything makes sense in hindsight, but I tell people all the time, you got to realize how you can cut, how you can shape and how you can mold it. And I believe that we're cut in a couple of different ways. Either we're cut to be really, really good, being what I would call a number two, three, four, five, six, but basically supporting an organization structure, working as an employee, being able to scale that ladder really, really well in that position or you're cut to be an entrepreneur. And you got to figure out which one it is and focus on that for the bulk of your life. So okay. that speaks to your purpose, that so speaks to your depth. Back to you. Back so, to me. So you're 18 months. Why? You said two, one or two people. Which one were you? So I figured out the hard way that I was really the second one. So part of my stick was, like, like I said, always learning and applying and just, I've always been an out-of-the-box kind of thinker. And sometimes that kind of ruffled feathers in corporate a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also was one who, there's a great story in the Bible about Jonah not basically responding to a call in his life and not doing what he was supposed to do. And, and I think, you know, the guy upstairs kind of knew that I was running away from purpose and destiny, that I would not on my own venture out into the deep, step outside of my comfort zone and actually become an entrepreneur. And so he had to, by his own divine intervention, shut every door to re-employment just to get me to launch out into the deep and actually do what I was created to do, which is become an entrepreneur. Okay, so you spent 18 months unemployed after having a pretty successful career in the, in the corporate world, and that 18 months of unemployment is what kick-started your, your entrepreneurship. It did. So the way that ended was... so. I'm unemployed, I don't have any income coming in, I've lost a lot of wealth with the tech bubble craft, international investments in South, and I've got a portfolio of almost a dozen properties. I got tenants who can't pay their bills. Hey, trifecta of financial things happening all at the same time. So we ended up filing bankruptcy to kind of start over. But right around that same time, I gave birth to my business, and I started consulting, traveling the country, providing comprehensive tax and financial planning services to small business owners across the country. So I don't want I don't want to just glaze over that because uh, that is something that scares people to death out there, right? Everyone's afraid of financial ruin, right? We're all afraid of okay, I'm getting into this business, but what if I lose it? What if I lose everything? What if I 
what if I, what if I, what if I, as my friend Keenan says, you can, yeah, but yourself to the, to the grave, right? Um, you went through that. You yeah. went through it. And, and, and guys, I don't want to, and in some ways I want to normalize this because I think this is something that a lot of people are afraid of, but understand this is part of business. Companies do it. Our president has done it with his companies multiple times. Um, and there's life afterwards. Absolutely. Um, can you share what your experience was? Well, it was just to let you know how broke we were. You know how they talk about you on poor, you were poke. They dropped the O-R off of the word. We was poke. Mm-hmm. So there was a time around Christmas where our financial circumstances were so bleak that my wife actually wrote my Christmas card on the back of a bubble wrapper. That's how bad it was. And so not only were we poor, but I couldn't afford to actually pay an attorney to actually file our bankruptcy proposal. So being the enterprising, uh, very proactive individual like I am, I studied and learned everything about the process and actually went through, filed it on my own, and three months later we got discharged by that. So one of the beauties of being married is just having you and your partner on the same page. I remember the date when it became really, really evident to me that, you know, we're going to have to do something drastic to try to start over. And that drastic measure was actually filing bankruptcy. And I came home and I was sweating bullets and I was just scared stiff. I mean, we had exhausted every option that we knew. I mean, we lived in a half a million dollar house at the time. When we purchased that house, we had a pretty unique financial structure in place such that if I was ever unemployed, that they'd continue making my mortgage payment. Well, turns out that the bank who wrote that mortgage actually went under. FDIC came in, they took over the bank, they said, hey, we're not satisfying any of these prior commitments from this bank that's gone under. So that provision went out again. And so here I am, and like, there's absolutely no way we can continue maintaining the lifestyle that we have with the financial predicament that we're in. So I have a conversation with my wife, and I'm scared, and you know what it's like being a provider and you know you, you want to be that guy who's taking care of the household and that's not a conversation you want to have with your spouse but when i did she was just so accommodating um so loving so unpaid she was like hey i got your back we're gonna get through this if this is what we got to do this is what we got to do i trust that we'll get through this that's amazing uh, so so at the three-month period where you know if it cleared through how did it feel? It was a big sigh of relief to a certain extent, right? Because when you're, you know, scratching and clawing, and, you know, borrowing from Peter, which, you know, Peter didn't have anything to really give us, better pay Paul, and just you've exhausted every resource, you just want to know that all of that weight, all that dead yeah. weight, that you can finally kind of close that chapter and say, okay, you know, I may not know what the future looks like, but I know at least I don't have to keep fighting this battle. Yeah. That's super powerful, Ike, and thanks for, for sharing that because, again, that's this is something that we all, are, we all, we're all, most of us that are entrepreneurs are going to have to deal with this. In front of us. Absolutely. Sure. Like, either it's, it becomes a reality of something that we have to do or it's something that um, keeps us up at night, right? The concern of it. And so, thank you for sharing your story and right. how that was a new beginning and that's what we're going to get into next yes. like okay so you closed that chapter you went through it you, you got that weight off your shoulders and now 
start your entrepreneurial journey. Right? Tell me about it. So I, I always joke about being born as an entrepreneur with a silver spoon in my mouth. So the first six or seven years of my business, man, I was really, really blessed. I didn't have to do any marketing whatsoever. So independent contractor, had a couple of different companies that I was contracting my services to. One was based out of Chicago. Another one was based out of Atlanta. But they would basically go in and they had a management consulting so they would go in and teach business owners the business of business. As you well know, a lot of us get into business and we're really good at the widget that we make. We're good at whatever product it is that we want to get out there. But we may know absolutely nothing about business. Sales, marketing, operations, the whole nine. So they had a management consulting division that would come in and basically put these business owners through boot camp and help them grow and scale their business. Now, sometimes they were already doing well and were looking to kind of go to the next level. And as they went to the next level, that would double, triple their tax liability. Other times it was like a you know turnaround where they were really, really in dire straits. And over the six months of us working with them, all of a sudden they had you know visibility as to what business is going to look like. So in either situation, what would often happen is we would create this incredible tax liability for these people. And so the second division of the company, which is who I worked with, we would come in and actually spend an entire day with that business owner, get to understand them, literally take their business, turn it upside down, understand what was unique about it, what their goals, objectives were, and how they could position that business to be the incubator, the catalyst for really achieving all their financial goals. So I gather a lot of information, put together a team of like specialists in just different areas of tax and financial planning, work with them, and over about three to four weeks, come back, sit with that business owner, his lawyer, his CPA, whomever rounded out his professional service team, and I present this incredible plan that we put together that could save them five, six figures each year once they implemented it, and oftentimes it helped them actually implement the plan. And so, incredible journey, uh, you know, met a lot of incredible business people all over the country, did a lot of incredible work, added a lot of value, but also made a lot of money. And so, I remember working with mentors and coaches in the past, and they'd always float this idea that, you know, you can actually turn your annual income into a monthly income. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good marketing method, but right, annual to monthly, that's a huge, huge step. But over the five years, my first five years in business, so we go bankrupt in 2003. By 2008, I kid you not, I look back up, and we are back to like a seven-figure net worth. We have six figures in passive income. And as I look at my annual tax return, lo and behold, I had actually converted my annual income to a monthly income. So I had busted a limiting belief that I had about something that I'd heard time and time again, but hadn't become my well, reality. Everything's impossible until it isn't. Somebody does it, right? Until it isn't. So your experience with bankruptcy, how did that affect your approach to your business? Like having gone through that, how did that affect the way that you, you approached your business, the way that you you ran your business, the way that you thought about business, the, did it help you in achieving that level of success that you, you achieved? Sounds like pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly, it certainly played a part in several roads. Um, you tend to be a lot more humble, <laughs> obviously, and uh, a lot more cautious with finances. 
So I remember for the first two or three years, we just kind of like skirted traditional credit. We would use check cards. And you know, at the time, I think SunTrust had a uh, Delta SkyMiles check card. So even though we were paying, living within our means, as opposed to letting credit create this false sense of how much access to capital we really have, we were still earning travel reward points, you know, like using a check card. So I just think the ability to go back through and start over and realize you got nothing to lose and everything to gain was an incredible perspective. Yeah, that nice. You just mentioned something that I think bears a little bit of conversation, reestablishing credit yeah. after going through that, because we live in a credit world. It's, it's important. Um, so, you know, there's messaging out there. Obviously, we want to live within our means, and uh, it's kind of an old-school mentality of pay cash for everything, but the reality is, is that we're in this digital world where we need to have credit. How did you reestablish it's actually your pretty business. crucial because obviously you know when you have multiple foreclosures from real estate investments that you have, that dings your credit score. When you have a bankruptcy on your that dings your credit score. So our credit score took a hit. But I kid you not, April 2003 was when our debts were discharged. And by like the following month, we had purchased a new home. Now it wasn't this big, you know. 5,000 square foot house that we had before it was a $1,200, $1,300 townhouse. But having had the experience that I had with real estate, I knew that stellar financing was an opportunity that we could explore. And so I think we plopped down. I saved up some money for just some of the stuff that I started doing with business. And we might have put down like 25 grand or something for down payment. But we got the seller of this townhouse to finance the purchase. And within two years, we refinanced that. So, you know, we, we had a slightly higher interest rate than the four or five, six percent that was available. But within two years, we were able to go back to traditional financing and actually refinance that note away from the seller. And so that helped tremendously in reestablishing our credit. Nice. So you stared the business lion in its mouth, right? That's the lion, right? The lion is, oh, financial. Bankruptcy, you stared it in its mouth, and you said, I got it, right? So what what are you afraid of? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, so that was my first brush of adversity. My second brush of adversity actually happened a little later on. So 2003 bankrupt, 08, it's like, wow, living, a, you know, living an extremely great lifestyle. 2012, I write a book called Winning the Money Game separating the myths from the truth, everything you don't know about achieving financial independence. Because at 34, in 2008, I'd already gotten to where I was trying to help my clients get to a 65. And I did that in a century five years. So I knew that I took, as Robert Frost would say, the road less traveled. A lot of what the financial services industry is quote unquote preaching as the proverbial path that you should follow wasn't necessarily accurate. So in that book, I really exposed nine financial myths that the financial services industry was trying to shove down their throat, but that really wasn't going to serve big long term. So I released that book, it does well. And so 2012, you know, if the book does well, it becomes a bestseller on Amazon. I knock out one of my heroes in the financial services industry, Robert Kiyosaki. And I got a screenshot of my book tagging ahead of his in the Amazon bestseller list. Uh, I end up getting asked to blog for the Huffington Post. 
uh, I get, you know, multiple appearances on Fox, radio, to just crescendo, mountaintop level in my career. Then 2014 hits. And when 2014 hit, in that one year, I suffered two devastating business betrayals, cost me and my family seven figures plus, and I saw my income drop to a third of what it used to be. That was a very scary time. Now, as part of one of those business betrayals, one of them was sort of like a classic Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. I've been in the news here for a while. On the record, as the biggest Ponzi scheme that has hit the U.S. Celebrities that, you know, victimized. So, so it's a pretty huge deal. Very similar, except the Bernie who perpetuated our fraud actually fled the country. Nowhere to be found. So this is one of those two betrayals in 2014. Obviously, when something like that happens, the SEC gets involved. And they get involved, they do their thing. And then two years later in 2016, apparently they must have come to the conclusion that, hey, this isn't a billion dollar plus type impact. We don't have celebrities that are involved. We're not about to expend resources to go try to track this guy down. But I, he's an investment advisor. So we're going to hold him responsible, not only for his loss, but the loss that his clients suffered. Forget the fact that I'm a victim, having lost $600,000 plus of my own money on that one particular trail. Yeah. So that was a very scary moment. And here's why it was scary. So this happens in 2016, and you know, to put things bluntly, I obviously kind of respectfully disagree with their position. I'm a man of faith. I try to do things through prayer and prayed through this entire season of my life and felt felt a really rich conviction to go ahead with a legal fight against the SEC. Security and Exchange Commission. Good luck. Good luck with that, right, brother? <laughs> so this is like David versus Goliath. 2016. You know what that reminds me of? Have you seen the movie Taken? Um, Liam, Liam, Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His daughter gets taken, and uh, he's on the phone with her, and she gets snatched up, and then the, one of the kidnappers gets on the phone, and and, he, and Liam Neeson, and it's cool, Liam Neeson voice, <laughs> I have to shift this to the excuse, and, you know, basically release my daughter, or I'm coming to get you, and the guy says, good luck. <laughs> So that was your personal taken. My personal <laughs> Did you use your particular uh, set of skills? Dude, my particular set of skills did not help. You know, in the Bible, David only had to throw one stone at Goliath. I threw all five and didn't didn't phase the dude. Man. That's why Taken is a movie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> only in the movie. So we begin this legal fight. You know, me respectfully disagreeing with their position. I hire what I feel like is the best representation. Burn through six figures plus in a two-year legal fight, pursuing this level of conviction that I had that I'd experienced victory through this, right? I don't get any glimpse of that victory until about the end of 2018. And so by the end of 2018, here's what my world looks like. By the end of 2018, I have settled my case with the SEC on a neither admit nor deny basis, which is good, right? No admission of guilt. But as part of that settlement, I agreed to have my investment advisory license suspended for five years with the right to reapply. I had to pay out over $300,000, separate and apart from my legal expenses, just to close the case out. 
you know, if you go online and you Google my name, you will see some very poetic language the SEC has to use in describing the case. So I suffered a lot of reputational damage, a lot of persecution. My investment advisory business, which was generating virtually all of my income at that point, basically got buried six feet under. And so now, by the end of 2018, I'm basically down to about 10% of the income that we once had. And remember, this is a guy who, man of faith, believes in doing things through prayer, uh, decides to go up against his version of Taken, right, against the SEC, with the promise of victory. But here I am at the end of 28, being completely wiped out of all of my financial resources, suffered incredible persecution, and like, how am I supposed to put food on the table? Yep. So what'd you do? So I cried. <laughs> I cried, I cried, and I cried plenty. Uh, but I had a conversation with a guy upstairs, and, um, you know, I said, dude, you, you promised victory. What in the world is all this about? And he's like, dude, you're getting victory. You're getting the victory I promised. Here's the problem. You chose to define victory on your own terms. See, for me, victory has to represent a very external victory. I get to keep my professional licenses. I don't suffer any reputational damage. I you know, get to keep my business. I get to expose injustice in the SEC from my perspective. All the stuff that I could point to. And the guy upstairs is like, dude, that's not what you needed right now. As a matter of fact, I chose to allow all those things to happen. You know, you suffered a lot of losses, but by and large, the biggest loss that you suffered throughout this entire time was your loss of your identity. I'd come to a place right now where what made I feel good about himself was my business reputation, the success that I'd had in business, with the amount of number of zeros in the bank account. There were all of these external things that I could point to that made me feel good about who I was. It's like, no, 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 brother. You've got to look inside. You've got to look internally. So what's the next act? So that happened 2018, and, and like, hey, by the way, guys, uh, grown men cry. <laughs> and there ain't nothing wrong with that. There's, I've had that moment myself. Um, so what happens next? You did that, yeah, picked so your I, ass so up, and now what? Picked my butt up, and you know what really kind of pushed me forward was kind of reflecting through the lessons learned. But I remember a particular time during what I would call the negotiation part of my negotiation with the SEC. So we start out with negotiations, and they're like, hey, you know, you want to make this case go away? You want to settle? Okay, here's what we'll do. You pay us a million dollars. And you agreed to be banned for life from the industry, and we'll call it bygones. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. That doesn't make sense. So we go back and forth, posturing left, right, and center. And at one point, my attorneys are like, look, this doesn't make any sense. You guys are requesting a financial settlement of the equivalent of $10, and you know Mr. Ikoku has tendered his financial documentation, so you know he only has a dollar. Why in the world are you guys asking for 10 and here's what they said, Ron. They said, well, we've interviewed Mr. Ikoku. We know he's very charismatic. We've had discussions and interviews with his clients. They seem to you know, like his work. We also know that he was bankrupt once before and then ended up doing well, investing a lot of money with this scheme that went south. And so from our perspective, we know that if he goes on to another industry, he's going to do well. 
And the last thing we want to do is only go for a dollar when we could go for 10. He ends up doing well in another industry and we end up with egg on our face. We end up looking bad. And dude, I had to crystallize that moment. I had to journal that moment. Because at that point, I had no idea of what my life was going to look like post-specific. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to provide for my family. I was at the lowest of my lows. I, I couldn't see whatever potential that they saw. But the very ones who were looking to bury me six feet under could see incredible potential. See just how much capacity that I had to overcome. And that let me know that there was going to be life life more abundantly. So what does that life look like today? So that life looks like today. So 2019 was a year of recovery, a year of trying to figure out what's worth. The first six months, I tried a bunch of different things that I thought were the proverbial route to get me to where I needed to be. None of that worked. But over the last six months of 2019, I have gone from being broke, deflated, and dejected, to essentially building a six-figure coaching, consulting, and mentoring business. And now I get to use a lot of the wisdom that I've garnered through all of my years of expertise and adversity and everything that I've experienced to help other coaches, other consultants, CPAs, professional practice owners, build the business that they love and learn how to really be good stewards over the gift that they have that's tied to their purpose in their business. Nice. So, you know, what I really want people to and I'm hoping that people gather from your story is, and again, thank you for sharing your story. Um, not once, twice, right? Sitting at the at, at the brink, right. and to bring yourself back. Why? Why do you do it? Why not just quit? Why not go go get a job? You know, I tell people all the time: if you go into business, you got this idea that you want to build a seven-figure business, you want to make a lot of money, just quit. Just hang it up. Because if you go into business with that perspective and that mentality, you will just fail locally and you will not be able to come back from any of the things that I've been through. I believe that everybody here on the face of this earth is here for a very specific purpose. You still got breath in your life. There's a reason why you're here. Your responsibility as an individual is to figure out what that is. And so for me, it's all about my why. It's all about my purpose. My why and my purpose is to try to help end hopelessness in this nation. Why is that important? Simply because when you look at all of the things that ravage our society, whether you look at issues like mental health, people taking their lives, whether you look at people who engage in acts of human trafficking, whether you look at gang banging, it doesn't matter what it is. All of those things that plague our society all have as its genesis people who made very poor decisions that were birthed out of a sense of hopelessness. Twice, and more times than that, I have been on the brink of hopelessness. And I know just looking at my journey, any deviant behavior, um, anything that you go out, that doesn't sound like the act that I would know, it's all been birthed out of a sense of hopelessness. And so if we can inspire people to recognize that they have a call, they have a purpose, that there's a reason why they're here, and they can take very proactive actions to live into that purpose, and create incredible wealth for themselves by delivering incredible value to the people that they're called to serve, we will, in essence, and hopefully, people will make empowering decisions and not poor decisions. 
so my next question is, you've been through significant highs and significant lows. You go back in time. Talk to your 20-year-old self before you're about to go on this journey. What is the advice you give your 20-year-old self? Wow, that's an incredibly powerful question. Um, I think to my 20-year-old self, I'd say one, there's a reason why they say Rome wasn't built in a day. There's a process to cultivate, to make Seed has to go into the ground before it shows up and all of a sudden you find oranges on a tree. And so I would ask myself, I would tell my 20-year-old self to get comfortable with the process of seeing and recognize that just because you are passionate about living your truth, you've got all your life to live that truth. It doesn't have to happen all in one day. But if you work at it, and you're diligent about the gift that you've been given, you will live it, and you will live it well, and you will create a legacy that far outpaces any measure of wealth that you could ever create. That's what it's about. And so I always like to kind of close with, with that sort of wisdom for the next generation. Yep. Gen Z's out there, Gen Z, see y'all. <laughs> Gen Z. for you. <laughs> and uh, it's guys like I could change to listen to. You're about to embark on this journey. You're about to get on this roller coaster. And it's that sort of wisdom that will help you to be successful and to navigate this stuff. Because we're all faced with these ups and downs. Some of them are more drastic than... <laughs> than others, right? However, it doesn't matter whether my down, whether my hole looks like a pothole to you, it feels like a grave to me. Absolutely. The filling is all the same. So I think the important thing, guys, is to know how to process that, for one, and using the, listening to the example, listening to the wisdom from guys like you that have been through things, and guess what? Life goes on. You're on the other side. You've got a beautiful family. You'll probably make and lose another couple million before we're all done. It's all right. <laughs> It'll be easier at that point. <laughs> right? Anyway, any parting words of wisdom? Uh, Bert, you know what? We need to tell the people where they can get a hold of you, man. Yeah. Where, where can people find you? Well, the easiest way to find me is you know, send me a connection request on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That is where I house a lot of my time and expertise. Uh, but also on the web, you can find me at the namesake of my name. My website URL is www.ikeikokwu. So that's ikeikokwu.com. One more time on that last name. Definitely. So www.ikeikokwu.com. K-W-E.com. There it is. Love it. Appreciate you, brother. It's been a, a great time. I hope you enjoyed your, your apple cider over there. Absolutely. Got a little cold on me, man, but it's still got that sweet taste. So. Hey, guys, remember going to businessburma.net for more content. We put a lot of fun stuff out there. We do some after hour stuff as well. Keep it locked. And with that, it's time. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to the Business and Bourbon Podcast. Please subscribe. And if you like us, give us a five-star rating. If you don't, uh, have another drink. Maybe you'll feel a little bit differently. If you'd like to check out our videos, you can go to businessandbourbon.tv. That's businessandbourbon.tv. 
In addition to that, we're currently touring the United States with our Business and Bourbon Live show. It's a fantastic show where we deal whiskey education and we do some Q&A and it's a great networking event as well. So if you'd like to attend one of our Business and Bourbon Live events, you can go to businessandbourbon.live. Again, that's businessandbourbon.live. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you the next time.